welcome to Conscious Design Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Peterman, and with me is Gavin Allwright, Secretary at International Windship Association, trying to get our ships that put all of our, our goods around the world into a more sustainable mode of transportation, getting sails or, or other technology on them. And so really excited to have you on, on the show to, to talk about that. It's, um, I enjoy sailing ships in general. So it's, it's great to see that someone's trying to bring it back with, you know, a modern, a modern approach to it. Yeah. Thanks. For, thanks for having me on the, on the show. Yeah. I'm looking forward to, uh, yeah, giving you, giving your, uh, listeners, uh, an overview of what's happening and and the real potential here as well. Yeah, and and you're you're in a little bit of a unique position because you have a sustainability background. You're at, you're not a you know you're not a sailor from the start. You're not a ship designer from the start. You you have the sustainability. So what kind of share a little bit about how you went from you know sustainability to what really caught your eye for and there's many many areas that we're all trying to work on to make sustainable more, more sustainable options reduced fuel so what what kind of drew you to ships and sailing as an option yeah no it, 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 it it's 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 a different pathway <laughs> certainly not not the standard maritime career i mean i've always been surrounded by you know sort of nautical things my father was royal navy um my wife's family actually over in japan are all sort of shipbreakers and shipbuilders and fishermen so it's been around quite a lot but uh no i got uh, back in i think it was 2004 something around there i got involved with uh, an ngo uh, that was building uh, sail and solar powered uh, or, or designing sail and solar powered uh, small trading vessels for the developing world and at that time I was also starting a master's degree in sustainability um, and that was the kind of pathway we were going on uh, I'm also an, another hat that I wear sometimes as a, as a natural builder so we were building a, a kind of eco center uh, naturally built house with a sustainability center uh, in northern Japan as well so those things were kind of moving along together. Um, then we had the Fukushima um, nuclear situation and we had to evacuate out. We were a little bit too close to that. Um, and that sort of really, yeah, sort of brought it home. Uh, we needed to make some changes. And one of the critical things was that, you know, you could identify that shipping was a real pinch point uh, in in the sort of global economy and the sustainability issues that it's, it's a vast industry um, moving immense amounts of goods around the world, uh, but also incredibly challenging for small island states and developing countries to actually afford to lay on services to those, those areas and really mm. you know, unlock a lot of the, the, the sustainable development in those places. Yeah, that's an interesting point. The infrastructure and the access to shipping is so it's they're they're so big. The car, you know, those ships are huge. So it's a I hadn't thought about that as being such an undertaking. 
and a limit a barrier it's a barrier to entry really between (laughs) between real real shipping and uh not not having it yeah it is and and when you think uh yeah just to give you an example and this is where i came into uh the field when when you have a small island state for example that is paying for fuel usually higher prices than you pay at the big hub so uh can often be double or triple the price uh, that you would pay in Singapore, say, or in Rotterdam. Now, the problem is, is those island states are often, you know, uh, every dollar is, is actually in their local uh, economy is worth five, six, seven times that, that amount in that local economy. So in effect, they're paying 10 times what we pay for fuel, simply to be able to get onto a boat to maybe move a, a relatively low uh, value agricultural crop or, 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 or locally produced uh, uh, higher value items to a marketplace. Um, and it's just impossible. So, so looking at it from, from that point of view, it really brings the, the sort of unsustainability aspects into stark relief. Right. Well, and that's that that kind of access too. I mean, it, our global economy for large countries are heavily dependent on <clears throat> shipping. So it's, it's part of how we're able to grow, grow and have such large economies as <laughs> we're able to, able to do that. So, you know, there's, there's obviously the burning of fossil fuels, but also this part is kind of a social, social impact of having such an expensive transportation method. Now, what is obviously just, you can't just throw some sails on a cargo ship and call it good, um, just haphazardly. So what's your, what is your process? You have an accelerator, you're trying to develop or help, help build more technology around it. So what, how's that? what is that approach going to like build it because shipbuilders aren't aren't just putting sails on their ships right now uh well they are actually you know uh it is it it's not it's not large yet we we, we're not we're not in the mainstream yet but just to give you an idea uh we already have 15 large vessels with uh, uh wind assist added to those and these are at the industrial scale um including a VLCC, which is a very large uh, crude carrier, which is pretty much one of the biggest ships in the world, uh, super tanker, uh, with two large wing sails on her. Um, just recently, another one was uh, launched with five rotor systems, which are rotating cylinders which catch the wind and then generate thrust. Um, and that's just been launched in China and being operated by Valo, the big uh, uh, mining corporation so there, there's okay. there are actually ships coming through but um yeah the association itself yeah we we bring together those those groups uh, that network um and do a lot of policy stuff a lot of the regulation stuff uh, communications of course network development but you you um, uh, mentioned about the accelerator program that we're uh, in the early stages of launching and um this, this will actually have a test fleet at its center. So 
new uh, technologies, new systems, new concepts uh, can be brought in, assisted with sort of incubation, a, a standard sort of incubation process where engineering, business advice, help with finance, etc., brought through to a prototype stage, then tested onto uh, uh, on on a multiple uh, array of different types of ships very quickly being able to validate that that usually takes years you know quite often years to get a, sh a ship owner that's willing to do that and then the process of validating it so we can right. accelerate that process quite quickly and then coming out of that would be a, a, a fund that assists with getting over that initial um, uh, pre-market and early market stage of bringing some pretty heavy pieces of kit into the market that cost a lot, but you know are not going to be replicated quickly or, or not as quickly as we'd like to see. Uh, so you can bring those costs down. So there's always a, a lag of 12 to 18 months, which is pretty tough for the for the new entrants. So we're really excited about developing. Yeah, well, having your own fleet, it means you don't have to convince an owner to let someone experiment. <laughs> and I've always wanted to be a ship owner. There you <laughs> no, go. You're going to have a fleet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and we also, I mean, don't don't forget, we also have you know new build vessels coming through as well, which um, you know um, the the wind assist vessels that I talked about, sort of fifteen, sorry between five and 20% reduction in the fuel um, uh, uh, usage, probably optimized out to about 30%. But that's when it's operating as a motor ship. So they're not changing course to get more wind. They're not slowing down to increase the wind uh, propulsive effect. That's okay. pretty much, we're gonna operate the motor vessel and put the sails on to help. But actually new builds, you can optimize the design and you know just as a in the days of old you can have a hundred percent window that's possible to do um partly by harvesting the wind when it blows too much you harvest that you collect that energy put it into a fuel or put it into batteries and then you use that energy when the wind isn't blowing so right. these designs and systems are really starting to come through now so it sounds like there's a a fairly because when you when you think of like oh putting some sails on a ship you think of old ships right you just you have mm. some sails but it sounds like there's a range of technologies that are around wind <laughs> mm. that isn't just just putting a sail on it it's capturing additional energy it's being able to augment in more than just put a sail and hope that the wind is blowing in a good way for you yeah, at no, that time indeed uh, and we we've moved on I mean, I mean there are still traditional vessels out there there are still traditionally rigged vessels being designed and operated which need people to operate those of course but actually most of these systems you know we, we're talking about very much a 21st century uh uh you know uh design they're fully automated many of them um integrated into the systems on the vessel so literally the guy will press a button and the operation will be automatic but then you're also plugging in things like wind routing so 
you can actually design your routes around the best wind data that's been estimated over the last 50 years. Um, so you can actually plot your route. Is it, is it, um, is it better for, you know, you've got a little bit more speed or you want to get to the destination quicker or you want to reduce your, your, your fuel costs? You can take a different route uh, to get to the same destination. Um, we've also got, you know, obviously forecasting has gone, uh, come a long way. We have a weather station on every ship, but also they're now testing LIDAR as well. So you can actually map the wind coming into the ship and then optimize the rig to take the best effect of that. So that's just one example of where technology now is really you know, boosting and optimizing an age old system of wind. But you also have materials, you know, uh, operations, et cetera. Right. Well, that's, that's really interesting. It, it makes a lot of sense that route, the route that you take and with, with so much weather data now, knowing, hey, this is, you can, you can adjust your route based on what you're wanting to achieve and match it with wind, which is, I'm sure it, would, it really helps the efficiency of what you're, what you're trying to do and making it easier easier to achieve, say, a zero, zero carbon emission uh, cargo sh ship <laughs> going, yeah, going no, across. Yeah. And, but interestingly, you know, just, just at present, you know, the, the legal structure around shipping is very much from the 20th century, very much from a, a fossil fuel, you know, cheap fossil fuel uh, uh, approach. So mm. you have things like time charters, which basically specify pretty much the speed and the delivery date that you have to achieve. And there's a clause within those, you know, I, I, I can't remember the exact legal term, but it's with, with due dispatch, you have to go as quickly as possible to fulfill that contract. So we have some barriers there where you have to, you have to start changing that and say, well, actually, right. let's put into this agreement that you know, fuel is 50% of the operation cost. So, so if you're saving half of that, for example, that is literally profit, that, that's cash in hand. Um, right. So it's a big incentive to take another look at those legal requirements. And that's indeed what, what we are doing and what we will be doing more uh, in the coming years. Yeah, and are there any roadblocks, and you just mentioned that, is, is there any roadblocks legally and you know contractually that you're having to navigate or and you mentioned you know legislation and things like that what what's kind of a, a resistance point to being more fuel efficient with sailing yeah it's it, it's a really good question i mean a lot we, we've got a pretty good idea of the map of barriers and, and issues and if it, if we look at these there's actually sort of five groups of these, but the, the, the technical side of things and safety, that's pretty much signed off. There, there, there's lots of little issues. There's lots of, uh, uh, we can do better, we can improve. And as we do, that raises up new issues. But this is a safe, robust technology sector. So it's, it's uh, uh, certified by classification societies who are, uh, things mm. like Bureau of Veritas or Class NK or, or um, uh, uh, American Bureau of Shipping, 
these guys certify that these kit, this kit is safe and it's operational and it's technically advanced. But some of the some of the aspects we have a very fuel centric approach in shipping. Um, we do elsewhere in the world as well. But in shipping, it's very very clear. You know, if you burn it, that's fine. You know, uh, we we've, we've got the regulatory framework for burning stuff. But when you bring in a free a free energy source that's zero emissions, that's delivered to the ship at the point of its use, where you don't need any infrastructure on land, all of a sudden the the mm -hmm. the, the structures don't quite fit. They, you know, they're, they're, we have to get exceptions sometimes. So what we're doing is we're trying to make those regulations fit for purpose in a renewable energy form, not not a renewable fuel form. And that takes a bit of time. But most of the regulations are not barriers; they're more inconvenient. Um, I would say That's probably good. the biggest biggest barrier is we don't have enough ships. Uh, we don't have enough reference points yet for the industry to be fully convinced. Uh, mm. That's getting better, but it would be lovely to have, say, three reference ships for each technology in each segment. So roll-on, roll-off ferries, tankers, bulkers, container ships, uh, uh, you know, uh, offshore vessels. If we had passenger vessels. If we had three reference points for each of the seven technologies in each of those categories, we would see this moving very quickly. Uh, we're not quite there. Right. Well, so it's, it's a more of a uh, seeing is believing and they want some reference points to make sure that, yes, it actually does work. <laughs> more than one yeah. ship did it. It's repeatable. And yeah. then, and, and then, well, that's good. It sounds like it's not there's not a huge now that you got this the safety is signed off which is pro probably the most the biggest piece that somebody could could argue against everything else seems like it's just a matter of time and effort not a not a huge yeah. roadblock boulder sitting there blocking this from moving that, that, forward that, that that is very true probably the biggest issue right now is simply the economics around it so, you know, as, as, as I'm sure you know, we live in a heavily subsidized fossil fuel situation. And most people think of subsidies as direct subsidies. But actually, I've just written an article about this, actually, just talking about the contradictions around subsidies. And what I mean by that is more indirect ones. So, for example, when you externalize a cost, that's a subsidy. So the climate uh impact is not internalized in the price of fossil fuel you know uh, you have an right, impact right. and society pays for that the, the fossil fuel doesn't things like security um you know the infrastructure costs um you know, mm -hmm. there are so many aspects health costs for example is probably one of the biggest um if you were into to internalize all of those you would probably add say 200 possibly up to 300 dollars per ton of fuel uh, sorry per ton of oil um you know which would you know, probably oh sorry per barrel of oil you'd probably be doubling tripling quadrupling the price of oil um, overnight now that would be damaging in its 
itself if it was done very quickly. Right. But you know, some some of this needs to be evened up. So when we're coming in, we're competing against the heavily subsidized existing fuel, and also uh, industry uh, or uh, countries are also looking to subsidize these new alternative fuels, which absolutely you need to do because they're in the same position as us. The difference is that we're actually free. So once you put this kit on for, you know, it, it's, yeah, the wind isn't going to stop blowing. The ship may stop sailing because it's too old, but the wind's going to always be there. Right. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting uh, proposition, right, to move from something that has to be subsidized because the cost is too high in order to move something to something that is just free it's just yeah you know it it blows the wind blows it hasn't stopped since forever and yep. the day it stops we have other problems so <laughs> <laughs> yeah Not, I'd, I'd say that's indicating quite a major problem yeah so it's but it's, but, it's, a, but it's interesting what you're touching on there because you know probably the biggest barrier i mean that's a big barrier of course financing bottom line issues are always but probably one of the biggest barriers at least up until very recently has been perception um you know if i if i say to you uh, you know think of a, a of a of a, a a power generating machine on land from the wind now you're probably thinking of a gleaming white electric electricity turbine mm -hmm. You're not thinking about an 18th century Dutch windmill, or you maybe you are, but probably not. Right. But if I say wind ships to you, a wind generating power unit on on the sea, you'll probably think of Jack Sparrow. You'll probably think of pirate ships. <laughs> and, and yes. And that perception is a really, really difficult one, and the media's got something to blame there because. Of course, the media is always looking for the story, which is, ah, we're going back to the old days. Right. I, I actually, you know, I like to coin the expression, it's rewind, not rewind. And that is really, really key to what we're doing, is we're looking to 2050, and that right. wind is an integral part of the shipping decarbonization. In fact, we don't think we can do it without it at least affordably without it um well, it's rather than power. parking back yeah it's free power i don't see why we would not use it right i mean <laughs> the wind is blowing constantly why yeah, would we not use it yeah you'd think i mean one of the it, it, it is interesting is when something's free um i always remember somebody talking about the water-powered car back in the about the 1950s or something they designed and the fact is that actually, if that you know, if that was actually possible and that caught on, that would destroy one of the major foundations of mod the modern economy, the fossil fuel uh, economy. So, when you're delivering a free energy to something, you're not commoditizing, so people can't invest it. And actually, investment in energy is one of the key drivers to the economic model that we have and whether that's fossil fuel or some other energy 
as long as you can package it into a small little box and keep selling it, right. that's great. You know, and we've seen that with water. We haven't quite seen it with air yet. So if, if somebody commoditizes air, I, I, I guess I, there's a go to an air bar. Or there's actually a company out of, Can I think, Canada that sells fresh Canadian air in a can. There you go. And it, right. sells, it sells to China. Brilliant. I don't know how many people buy it, but it's still around. So I guess they got they got the march on me. You know, um, I've got to work out a way to bottle the wind. Yeah, if we could bottle the wind, that would <laughs> that would be great. Uh, yeah, it's it it is such an interesting. Tesla also um, had this similar. He was trying to create a free power system, and his mm. funding his funding went away as soon as they discovered it was not something that you could sell yeah it's funny <laughs> there's yeah. no way to commoditize it so yeah, it is yeah. it is such an interesting idea which is impressive that you're getting people to say yes to wind at such a such a level because it is not you can't sell it you just yeah put no, a sale indeed. out and, and it's there well, we're, we're, we're pretty much in that technology area so you know we still right. got we, we've still got to roll out 60,000 to 100,000 of these units onto ships. So there's there's a revenue stream there. Um, and then you've got the probably up to about 7 million small vessels. So there is a revenue stream there as well. But um, you know, once you've saturated the market, then yeah, it, it, it is what it is. You know, it's a mature market. So I'm uh, sure maintenance. Maybe, maybe maintenance would be your, your yeah, ongoing. replacement and that type of yeah, absolutely. But it's interesting you mentioned Tesla. I, I actually use this as one of the examples on the perception side of things. Again, when you think of an electric car, you think of a gleaming, gleaming red, you know, gleaming red Tesla. Right. But actually, back in 1910, I think it was 80 or 90 percent of all the taxis in New York City were electric, and a third of yeah. all the cars on the street at that time were all electric as well. And it's amazing that it's taken us another hundred years or, or, or probably longer to come even close to coming back in full cycle. And we're still not there. I'd say we're another 10 to 20 years oh, away. We're definitely not 30%. 30% yeah, of exactly. That'd be a lot of electric cars now. Be a lot of electric cars, yeah. Yeah, that's, I forget about that. Yeah, that's electric cars were popular. <laughs> for a while and then and then i forget how but gas gas engines won out yeah, that's probably that's probably another <laughs> probably another another podcast to discuss that but uh no it's intriguing yeah. and and i you know i'm i'm a i'm a student of history obviously uh i love i love the way that we transitioned i love seeing those transitions because mm -hmm. you know, i think we learn a huge amount from those so we're actually coming into sort of shipping 4.0. We went from sail to steam. So it's 1.0 to 2.0, then from steam to, to oil or coal to oil, if you want to say. And now we're going from oil into a hybrid mix of alternative fuels, wind propulsion, there's wave systems that are being developed, solar energy on ships. So it's this whole mix to bring us back to that kind of zero emission that we had 100 years ago, or 100 
So it's, it's yeah. a really intriguing time. And I, I have to say, if I was a an engineer or a designer, a naval designer, this has probably got to be about the most exciting time in the last century to be in shipping. Well, there's so many new new things. It's not just stick a diesel engine and there you go. It's done. It's done. A few, pic- few pictures behind me. <laughs> that, yeah. That speak yeah. To that. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Are, are you uh, familiar with Sunreef yachts? Sunreef, yeah, the, that that name rings a bell. Yeah, so they're they caught my eye because they're building solar sailing uh, catamarans. They're mm. you know they're yachts, they're multi million dollar yachts. They're they're for people that have that cash. But it was just it struck me because it's. Um, they've been working on it for a little while they launched an eco line that's it's battery battery and sail is mm. there and solar panel obviously a catch and and wind and they have some you know wind capture in addition to the sail and so it's just it's interesting to see that that's an option they're actually building them and yeah. selling them and so Absolutely. that's that's kind of um yeah, I, I guess for boats, it's like it's like the sports car of boats. You start with the really expensive ones, and then you trickle down the technology at some point. But it's it, yeah, it just caught my eye as something that well, we, yeah, we have uh, some of our members uh, designed and also provided the rigs for the biggest sailing yachts, mega yachts in the world. Mm, so okay. there's one called the, uh, uh, the Blue, Black Pearl. Um, I'm not sure if it's named after the the one from the movie, and also the um, oh I've forgotten the name now, so it'll come to me in a moment. Um, but these are sort of hundred meter long yachts with uh, Dyna rig sails, absolutely beautiful. But these, you know, these these yachts are, are, are traveling 20, 24, 25 knots just underwater, and that's an incredible amount of power. But isn't it interesting that the rich, and, and I use that in a, in a relative term, you know, even someone with a small uh, dinghy is rich compared with, say, uh, a fisherman in, in, on the west coast of Africa. Right. On the horizon, they can see a yacht going by using perfectly free energy, zero emissions energy, and yet they're stuck with uh, a, diesel, a diesel engine that they have to pay that fuel for. Right. It's such a contradiction to me that, you know, uh, just just raises so many questions around what we're actually doing and how we're doing. So hopefully our association and our members are sort of turning that dial a little bit back towards that, that really sustainable way of living. Yeah, that, that kind of brings us full circle back to orig- the original point you brought up of, you know, developing countries or island countries that don't have, they don't have oil or not, they're not producing their own fuel. And so that kind of infrastructure is super expensive. They have to pay for the fuel to be brought in on a fueled tanker. To then deliver it so that then they can fuel their their own boats which are which is kind of crazy because it's they're paying paying double they're actually paying the fuel cost to get the fuel to them and then they're they're paying more yeah. for the fuel 
and, uh, and actually, actually, when we first approached a number of uh, small island states with our designs for for these small vessels, which were zero emission, zero fuel, that that was the first question. Oh, can we use these for for tankers? <laughs> well, that wasn't really why we got into this. Um, but hey, if if that's what if that's what floats your boat, you know, if that's what you need them for, then then use them for that. You know, so so we right. do, you know, we do have we have we have sales on oil tanks um, at the moment. Um, the funny thought, like a contradiction, but. The way the way that we approach it um, in in the association, we look at we look at three trends or three waves of development that are happening. One is the tweaking one, which is you know sort of playing with the fleet that we have, try to extend or expand the, the carbon budget that we have left to invest in in the transformation. So then we have the transition. Which is really when new new uh, ships are built, then wind becomes the, the standard go-to. But also we start seeing those primary wind uh, over fifty percent wind vessels coming in, and some hundred percent wind vessels coming in. And then we've got that transformation, which you know takes a lot longer. But actually, we have members that are looking at you know even carbon-positive ships that as they're traveling around generate more energy than they use and would actually tanker that and offload it when they get to the other end. Mm. That starts to be a whole new paradigm. Um, yeah, that was, it, that's yeah. mind-blowing. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it really is. I mean, it blows Power. my mind and, and I know about it. You know, and I'm like, right. wow. you're, you're working in it. <laughs> <laughs> but this, you know, when, when we have those trends and, and when we if we put this into, you know, we look at this through the lens of a climate emergency, you know, and we're looking at it from a 1.5 degree, trying to limit that to 1.5 degree. I'll, I'll be up in COP26 in a couple of weeks' time. But, you know, the we have nine years of business as usual carbon emissions left to ship it. And last year, shipping emissions rose. Mm. So if we're on an upward trend in emissions and we've only got nine years left, we reach nine years and we're pretty much plateauing at the moment. That means we go off, we go off a cliff in nine years' time and we have to go to zero emissions almost immediately. So there's a right. huge amount that needs to be done. But actually, as I think I mentioned, you know, if we rolled out uh, wind propulsion across the fleet in this decade, the savings that would accrue over the next two decades would pay for the rest of the decarbonization process. And so wow. you're basically looking at wind propulsion providing directly uh, a reduction in 1% of global emissions, global man-made emissions, 1% just from wind being brought into a fleet of 100,000 ships, but facilitating another 2%. So actually, in a sense, we could we could take you know um, uh, we we need thirty solutions like that, and we've cracked it. It's easy, right? I'm, I'm being very facile. But, uh, no, yeah, it's not easy, but but it's a solution basket and a facilitation basket that takes three percent away. And 
actually most commentators call shipping a hard to abate sector, if not the hardest. So if we can do this in shipping, that sends a huge message to the rest of the industry or industries. It's durable. Right. Ours was harder. We did it. Yeah. What's your excuse? Ours <laughs> is much harder. Yeah, come on. <laughs> but but it's interesting because shipping of all the transport uh, sources has a unique access to winds and weather as direct right. use. You got yeah. I I can't see sails being put on a train, although hey, we're willing to try. But um, you know, or or a wave action model on a I don't know on a on a on a car. It's not going to happen. But with shipping, we've got that access. We also have the access to things like offshore wind farms. So there's moves to look at bunkering ships out at the farms where the electricity is generated. So right. you know, so you're producing hydrogen or some other fuel there, plus a wind ship. Um, you're pretty much breaking the chain of emissions completely. Right. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I I hope that everyone agrees to just put some sails on their ships and just just do it. It just seems I I I had the thought several times oh, even when I was younger, like, oh, why don't why don't we have sails on ships? And the excuse mm. is, oh well, it's too complicated. They get in the way. You can't, you can't, you know, unload your cargo ship, but obviously you're proving all of that to be wrong <laughs> as, so those, as the ships behind you. Absolutely. Uh, but those are legitimate questions. You know, I mean, the, the, the project just above me here uh, is Magnus. Uh, they're a US based project, actually. Um, th those, those rotors, so they actually concertina down into the hull. So when you're loading wow. and unloading, they're, they're out of the way. Others, uh, the ones to my right over here are retractable as well. They collapse down to about a third of their height. Um, these ones that are being fitted, you see, and the, the ship just above those, two, oh, that side, uh, over there. Um, these, are these, these are hinged. So when you're going under a, 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 a low bridge or you need to get them out of the way of the trains, they're completely collapsible. So, you know, so these systems are all being developed now to kind of link in with the port infrastructure that we have today. So we, we, we're not asking for any changes. Right. The, the Nobody needs system itself to change. Right. Nobody needs to build a new port or, or a new crane no. system just to, just to interact with it. That's right. That's right. Awesome. Well, this, is, this has been amazing. Uh, where can people find you if somebody wants to be involved? maybe get their ship, you know, give their ship to you for your accelerator, <laughs> uh, you know, free ships accepted, of course. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, <laughs> free ships here, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So how, how can everyone get, get a hold of you? Sure, well, we've got, we've got two, two sites. So the actual association site is uh, www.wind-ship.org, uh, but you can just Google in International Windship Association or IWSA and, and we'll pop up. The other one is um, uh, decadeofwindpropulsion.org. So earlier this year, we declared this decade to be the decade of wind propulsion. So not just marketing puff, but actually delivering on all the promises. And there's a campaign site there, uh, which has just a couple of pages 
it just sells it all out. It just this is what the benefits are. These are the key USPs, and this is what's coming up in you know, you get the links to all of the, the research if you want, uh, pictures of the ships, etc. etc. Wonderful. Or you can just email me directly, secretary at windship.org. So wind-ship.org. Perfect. Well, and if it's a free ship, I'll welcome anyone. <laughs> yes, of course. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on and, and being able to share the really exciting work you're doing. That's ah, my pleasure. My pleasure. Come aboard.